In episode one of this season of Lab Chats, we started a conversation with William Bork and discussed affordances and constraints of analyzing cross-institutional data. In this episode, we are going to pick up with the rest of that conversation, working with disparate data sets, how do you combine data sets, as well as... Um, the structure of, uh, of data changing makes long-term data analysis hard. So let's get back into it. So, so in this project, I was able to, for example, connect these data sets by using a key. So in, in, in the case of our university and most, it's, there's a student's uh, unique student ID. It's assigned by the university. And so it sounds pretty easy, right? Like every data set has, has this unique key as the student's ID. And conceptually, conceptually it is. It's, you know, I just want to pull their high school things and pull their test things and pull their course history by the, just got to find their student ID, right? But a constraint of working with these institutional data sets um, is that there are, the data is not in a uniform format. So even though they're structured differently is what I'm trying to say. So while each data set, it has, for example, a column and that column has that unique student ID, that might be the only thing that is in common with these data sets, that's it. So if you find students 102, you get all their data sets, but what do you do? What do you do now? So for example, one of the data sets um, might have a very clean, clean and clear variable. So an example was we were studying just domestic students and with our institution, there is a, a column, a variable name, something like international or international students. And it's very simply a true or false statement. It's very easy and clean to work with that sort of data. But on the other hand, when I went to work with the AP exam data, uh, those data are structured. It was like a, if you can imagine like a container, there were 10 different columns and they were, they were named something like this, test score one, test score two, test score three. And then in each of these columns, they're just thrown in test scores. Could be ACT, SAT, AP, GRE, whatever. And so then you have to go and parse through programmatically to find which particular um, which particular exams are you looking for, what sort of scores you're looking for for the project. And so when the data is not in any sort of uniform way, you're putting a lot of work up front to get it into a form that is usable. Uh, another example. Let me, with, let me interject yeah. for just a minute. Is that when you were referring to the scripts that you're writing is to get it so that those um, data sets are able to be cons consolidated and usable or is that something yeah. else here yeah so a lot of the work that i had to do in the front end was to get the data sets combined and cleaned and in in a certain way that's usable for the analysis across institutions so while i'm doing this at my university there's other people doing it at the other six universities and we have that shared code but kind of kind of the uh, I guess the challenge is that because we are different universities and we have different these different data sets, it's not a, a turnkey solution. So I can't just apply the code to my university and then expect someone else to do it the same way. That's where some of the work comes in with as you're doing the analysis is to is to edit the code or rewrite the code in ways that work with obviously your variable names, for example, and and the way that your data is structured. So a lot of the work front end before you get to the multi-institution work is getting things into some um, shared format that works across all of the universities.
So yeah, another I, example. Go ahead. Go your first your question first because well, I'm going to just give another example. Um, we found that to be with with people that we talk to at universities, even interdepartmentally, even if they're within the same school. The fact that a data set is coming out of one system or another uh, means that getting them to align so that you could actually do an assessment can be extremely problematic, uh, even within a single department when you're trying to combine multiple data streams. So that's feedback that we've heard uh, repeatedly is that there's almost as much of an art as a science in order to being able to combine data sets even within a single department or a single institution. So where you're trying to combine them from multiple institutions, you're increasing the complexity on that uh, substantially uh, because you have multiple data streams from multiple sources. So I can understand that that would be extremely uh, mm -hmm. complicated. Yeah. Something else that adds to the complexity is um, the time period in which you're, you're researching. So universities change um, the way that they're storing the data, the way they structure their data. I think when I originally looked at the data, I could see uh, pe people who enrolled in 1923 and the information available to the students in 1923 are, are is very different from 2023. And so the, the universities are sitting on such a vast wealth of data. And as time has gone on, they've um, changed how this data is structured. And so you might be, let's just say something more contemporary. Maybe you are working on a study that's looking at a, a period of four years. And maybe the first two years, your university was using a particular student information system. And then the other two years of the study, they had switched to a very different system, a whole new system. And so now you have the challenge of how do I, how do I work across these two very different systems, these potentially different variable names, different structures of the data. Um, so in addition to what you said, there's also that time factor that uh, can really complicate working with data, not only at your university, but across universities uh, in the collaboration as well. So I'll, I'll give you the other example. Another example that I wanted to, to give about working with disparate data sets are creating variables that, that don't exist. So I talked about we have all these data sets and sometimes we have questions or we want to look at particular things and the university just doesn't record that. So an example of that is um, a first time in any college variable, first time in any college. We use an acronym called FITIAC, F-T-I-A-C. So this is like, let's say I can get registration data and I can filter through, I'm looking for a particular combination of data. I'm looking for students who are um, an undergraduate student, that they have no transfer credits, no prior credits obtained in a community college, nothing of that. Because I want to find th this particular study, the AP exam, we're looking at those very first year students. So students who maybe they went to a community college for a year, took some time off, and then came to continue um, their, their work or change, change the major. They're a different type of person, a different type of student. So we had to create this variable by combining different variables that are available to us. And sometimes you're very fortunate because I have um, a colleague. Her name is Sarah Castle. She also works at Seismic at my university. There's actually five of us that were working on various projects. And Sarah was able to provide the code to run that analysis. So that saved me time. They were actually able to put that together and 
use it for a couple of different projects. But other times you don't have that colleague to help you out. So then you have to kind of, you have, just think of it like building blocks uh, as in the data, the data is building blocks. And you need to figure out how to fit these together in the right way. How do you fit these data together to meet your need? So a lot of working with that data is, is thinking, thinking through the data conceptually. How do they fit? And then figuring out how do these blocks fit together to help you answer your research question. And then after that conceptual work is done, for example, with that FIDIAC score, you know, pulling down, are you undergraduate? Are you non-transferred? Do you have any existing credits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you have to actually code that up in a script and, and be able to run it programmatically to get that, that data and get it in a form that you want to work with. So uh, this way of working with institutional data, it's, it's a bit different from I say typical research because in, in more typical research, I'm going out and I'm collecting exactly the data that I want. So in other projects that I work on, uh, the research is designed to collect the data that I need to answer my research questions. But in the case of this study, this AP exam study and other similar sorts of research, you don't know what data is there until you actually get in there and see what's there. So that's, that, that, that's a challenge of working in these sort of contexts. And then, so these are things that I kind of, I won't say struggle, but were part of the process of, of doing this project on my campus. But then when you're combining across institutions, there's another set of challenges that come up, that come, come across. So we can think of um, an example as variation in variable names and definitions. So for example, for instance, we had a variable called low income flag, and this was to test the effects of uh, of the study on a particular group of students, so students who are of low income. And so the question becomes, what is low income? For some of the institutions, we used uh, Pell Grant eligibility. And so for any, anyone familiar with that, that's a, a federally defined proxy of low income. So it's the, the Pell Grants program is just um, it's financial assistant for undergraduate students who are low income families to, to fund their education. So we're able to use this as a, a proxy for what we decide is what is low income for the purpose of this study. But not every institution might have that data. So then what do we do with that? Well, we have to come up with a backup plan. And, and in our case, we did a particular formula, again, based on um, some other federally, you commonly used federal measures of low income. But when you do that, then you have a bit of disparity and how the universities are defining a particular variable. And another example of that comes from when we're working with ethnicity. So converting data to common terms is, you know, this is, this is one of the challenges that comes with working across institutions. If we use, we use ethnicity as a predictor variable. And at one university, we might have, for example, a broad Asian ethnicity. While there's some other institutions Within this project, they had a very high enrollment of Asian students. So they used more precise ethnic codes. They have codes for uh, Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, Polynesian, Vietnamese, Korean, Thai, Indian, Pakistani, and other Southeast Asians. So, so how do you solve that problem when you have one university that has very um, broad categories and one that has these very distinct categories? Well, for our project, we, we kind of rely on a shared data definitions. So we have documents of here's a variable, here's what it means, here's an example. So as you're working through the data, you know that um, 
here's what everyone else in this particular project is working on. And how does my university connect to those definitions? So when you do that, on, on the one hand, it gets all the researchers working, uh, working, working forward, a way forward, a way to have shared understanding and say, okay, we're going to go with this definition, we're going to go with this. But on the other hand, we're acquiescing to losing some of the granularity on the, the meta-analysis level. And then that just becomes a limitation on the study, just as the, any study has limitations. It's when you're working across multiple institutions with such uh, diverse data sets, it is harder to come to consensus uh, than when you're just working with one campus. So, so that's an example um, there. I've said a lot. Do you have any uh, points here that you maybe have thought about that you want to circle back to? Well, I, you've you've kind of been discussing them as I've been coming up with them. Is um, you're kind of finding the balance between getting the granularity with the limitations that you have from the data sets that you you've collected? Because just like you said, there may be data sets that are extremely specific, and you can get really granular. But if you're trying to compare them with data sets that are more generalized you're going to reach a point where you have to sacrifice the granularity somewhere in order to get something that is an insightful uh, conclusion. So all of that is is fascinating with how you're working with, again, the different data sets and combining them. One of the questions that I did have is, okay, so everybody does their own analysis. How are you consolidating them? Like what tools are you using? Because it sounds like you've written the scripts that is kind of the, hey, here's the data that we need. This is how we need it formatted so that we can combine it. Once each institution goes through that process and comes up with this final data set, how are you consolidating together in the final step? In the final step, after each institution has run their individual analysis at the university, at their, their particular sites, so we ran we ran a analysis at the individual campus, and then we reported the results of these analysis to um, a shared repository. And then there's another group of pe people within the project who are doing that meta analysis. And so this is a different set of code. This is a different um, different sort of outputs. But they're looking at. I'm trying to remember. This project was we finished just about a year ago. And then I've been hands-off since we are giving the results of our campus-specific analyses to the project leads, who then do another analysis on top of that to get to those that final meta-analysis for the final paper. Perfect. So um, once everybody has their, their data set, you're combining them into a shared drive or a shared repository and then another team picks that up from there and does the consolidated meta-analysis and and writes the conclusions from the study from there um are they right. keeping you guys in the loop as they're coming up with conclusions or is it just kind of a final reveal of what the what the end results were so everyone is kept within the loop obviously with the project there are kind of project leads and people that take on more of the role uh, of getting the project from start to finish. So the people that work on the in unique campuses, the bulk of their work, for example, the bulk of my work is done on my institutional data. And once that level is complete and we move on to the meta-analysis, then it becomes another group of people who 
they've also done their own uh, their own institution, but now they're going across all the institutions. And sometimes that that requires um, additional help from the people who who've done the first step. And that continues on into the writing of the manuscript. And so just as any research project, there's varying levels of, of involvement. Some people are heavily involved in writing the manuscript. Others are, hey, we're just going to uh, go in and check for edits. So the, the participation of everyone involved changes over the life of the program or over the life of the project. But as we get to the, we, we've been having biweekly meetings for most of the um, manuscript time and talking about the results and how do we how to prepare it for publication, et cetera. So everyone's involved to the end as much as they can be able to be. And then, you know, once we get that across the final finish line and out to the publication, then, then there's reason to celebrate. Excellent. So when you say publication, what was your objective? Like where was it published and, and who are the final consumers of this data and how's it helping them? So we haven't have it published yet. We are finishing the manuscript to send out for publication. We're looking at academic journals that are in the, um, the realm of STEM education that look at quantitative analyses, that look at large-scale projects. So those, that's kind of the, the general audience. This, we're hoping that the, the message from the study reaches people who make decisions about AP score acceptance. So these could be administrators at a university. And we hope that they look at it and say, oh, look, in my department, we're only accepting fours to give college credit. There might be reason for accepting a three. And this study is one piece of evidence towards uh, making that decision. Excellent. So it sounds like um, multiple phases, multiple um, groups that are involved, which uh, one of my next questions is how many of these projects do you in particular have going at any given time? Because it sounds like you may have one or two projects that are like in the case that you gave close to publication, uh, but you're probably in the data analysis phase on another project. So how many of these different projects may you have running at any given time? Mm -hmm. For me personally, two. Now, recall I said in Seismic, there are four working groups, and each working group can have two to three projects running at any given time. So as I've been finishing up this AP exam study, I'm starting up a totally different study that's uh, we're looking at, we call this the back channel study. So we're looking at when, when university students have a, a back channel or a way to communicate and, and, and ask questions anonymously in a classroom, does it help to improve their sense of belonging and their ultimately their their performance in the class? So that project is um, we're kind of entering into a pilot phase, and so I guess this is kind of the life of a researcher where you have multiple things going at one time, and um, in one particular project you're wrapping it up and you're getting ready to send out for publication, and another you're just getting started, and maybe another you're just talking informally and getting ideas going. So it's really how much how comfortable am I with um, using my time to work on these projects and, and what sort of benefits do I get from these projects? And that's how I make the decision of, of how to allocate my, uh, my research time. One of the things that you mentioned earlier on that really caught my attention is when you're talking about old data sets um, and 
everybody is likely familiar with, if you want to do a study, you design the study and, and you collect the data. And, it, and it's really a, a beginning to end thought out process. But now with some of these new data analysis techniques and the new tools, it becomes possible to go back and mine the gold out of old data in order to get um, trends that are multiple years or even decades and from the sounds of things, even generations long. Um, the way that I see it is there's never going to be an end to it because people are going to be finding value in data sets that were previously considered no longer relevant. And I think that that's going to be an exciting opportunity for education is taking advantage of this resource that for a long time has has been unused of these older data sets. Is that pretty accurate with, with some of what you found? I agree with your point. But I also recognize that there are, let's say every, every day we go forward, there is more and more data that can mm-hmm. be analyzed and more data sets. And so it becomes a question of um, human and computer resources. If you have, you only have so much that you can look at. And so oftentimes we, we might be more forward thinking and we're looking at, at things that are coming or that are new. And it's less, um, I guess, less interesting to look at the older data sets and look at older things. And, and it also brings up the question of what is the relevance? And there, there certainly are interesting, you said, pieces of gold to be found. Um, but also it's the question of what, what sort of impact and relevance does going back and looking at those older data sets have? In some cases, the answer might be just... Um, we don't know. In other cases, it might be, uh, there's a more pressing issue. So um, I think it's, it's, it's kind of, um, it's, it's an interesting problem. It's where do you put those human resources and where do you put those computer resources? And there always, there always be more data than we could look at. I agree entirely. Well, I greatly appreciate you joining and, and having the conversation. It sounds like fantastic and fascinating work. And then when we do if you would let us know when you do the publication, uh, if there's a link to it, we'll make sure we put it into the um, notes for the podcast episode. Uh, and so we greatly appreciate having you, having you join us. And we look forward to sharing this conversation with our audience. Sure. And before we go, Tyler, I just wanted to send out to listeners, if they're interested in the Seismic Research Collaboration um, what you can learn more is at the, at the Seismic website. So it's seismicproject.org. And if anyone who happens to be listening is affiliated with one of those 10 institutions that are currently in the collaboration, uh, you're automatically able to participate just by getting a hold of, of whoever is the current seismic person on that campus. And then for everyone else, there's a, a process to apply to be an external participant and participate in these projects as well. So all that information can be found on the seismicproject.org website. And we'll make sure we put that link in there as well. So, all right, uh, William, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. This concludes our conversation with William Bork. Join us again next week for more conversations about institutional data and data collection in higher education. We look forward to having you back.